I'm Jock Wilson, and this is Football North. The final four is set in the CFL. The East final will feature the Montreal Alouettes in Toronto at BMO Field. The West final has Nathan Rourke and the BC Lions at IG Field in Winnipeg against the two-time champion Blue Bombers. Who will play in Grey Cup 109? Well, I guess we're going to find out this weekend, but we're going to set it up today on the podcast we're going to take a look back at last weekend. And now that it's basically official in Calgary, where do we think Bo Levi Mitchell is really going to play next season? On the podcast roundtable today, we welcome back Derek Taylor, the play-by-play voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on CJOB. We welcome in Mark Steven, the longtime voice of the Stampeders on 770 CHQR. And we also welcome back Rick Zamperin, Former voice of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, he now hosts the Tiger Cats post-game show on CHML. We got it covered east and west on the podcast today. And, you know, Rick, I'm going to start with you. Uh, What happened in the Eastern semifinal? The Tiger Cats are toast. Well, Montreal won the game because they scored more points than Hamilton. But, uh, <laughs> that is a nice, little, easy answer. <laughs> going a little deeper than that, you know, this is a game where Montreal, boy, oh boy, they started out fast. The Ticat 13, Harris. Pressure coming, gets it away! Touchdown, Jake Winnicky! What a start for Montreal! They were the hungrier team. They looked like they wanted it more. They got the crowd behind them in a hurry. And Hamilton really didn't get it in gear until backup quarterback Matthew Schiltz came into the game, at least offensively, and uh, and started moving the ball, uh, you know, finding other receivers other than Tim White because Dane Evans clearly had a bit of tunnel vision with his number one receiver. And, uh, you know, they, they put, uh, you know, some points on the board in the second half. They just couldn't do it in the first half. Montreal took advantage. They held the fort and did uh, did what they do best defensively. Um, the Alouettes didn't do much offensively in the second half. I think they had, uh, you know, under 100 yards total in that second half. So Hamilton's D played a pretty good game. The offense did not uh, top to bottom. And, uh, you know, the, the better team won. I can say that last Sunday. There's no doubt about it. The Alouettes were the better team, and they deserve to play in the East Final. So how would you sum up the 2022 season for the Hamilton Tiger Cats? Because I would have to say on the surface that was pretty disappointing. Absolutely. You know, you look at the record in the eight and 10 and, you know, it's okay. But when you consider the expectations, the talent that they had, all the veterans that they had brought back, the same coaching staff, so you have that stability on, on the sidelines, you know, going to the Grey Cup in back-to-back seasons, it was all there for the tanking in the East Division, but they stumbled out of the gate 0-4. They were 3-9 and by Labor Day. They go on the bye week, magically beat Winnipeg some way, somehow, with their best uh, game in years. They win in Calgary for the first time since 2004. They're on a four-game winning streak going into the playoffs, winning five out of their last six, and then they poop the bed in the (laughs) East semifinal. It was a microcosm of their season um, in terms of that Eastern semifinal. They they played good in in fits and spurts, but uh, collectively and consistently, it was not there, and that's basically the 2022 campaign. Too many ups, too many downs, not good enough for the most part of the year, and they deserve to be watching the playoffs from here on in, I think. So, Mark, kind of a similar story in Calgary. Expectations were high. The Stampeders were a young team. They were a hungry team heading into the playoffs, but they got schooled by the BC Lions this weekend in the West semifinal. Uh, what happened, in your opinion, uh, in BC? 
Yeah, well, it was two teams that were very evenly matched, and uh, BC just came out and it was far more consistent than the Stampeders were. In that game, the Stampeders struggled to get offense going, and when they did, they just took a series of goofy penalties that just set them back and extended drives for the BC Lions. I mean, the Stampeders had the second-fewest penalties in the league this year, but had a lot of penalties and uh, just never got anything going uh, you know, they shut down, that's BC, shut down a very potent uh, ground game. And as a result, the Stampeders just didn't do much. They chipped in a few field goals until the very end when the touchdown was kind of academic. And uh, as a result, better team won. The BC Lions led by Nathan Rourke, who didn't do much running, but did a lot of passing and a lot of good passing. Rourke, hit as he throws to the end zone, touchdown BC! won the game. So you know what? They came in, BC, in their home stadium and uh, just took it from the Stampeders. A lot of fans were surprised to see Bo Levi Mitchell in the fourth quarter. Uh, a lot of fans were a little bit, uh, you know, shocked to see him, actually. Uh, how, did, how What went through your mind when Bo Levi Mitchell ended up in that game? Well, I thought it might even have been a little earlier, but, uh, you know, you got to give a guy that you've committed to a chance to work through it. But, you know, Bo Levi Mitchell came in, and uh, let's give him credit. He shook off uh, whatever rust there was and put on a pretty good performance. But, uh, you know, let's acknowledge, too, that BC was playing a little soft. But it was interesting to see him on the field, presumably for the last time, as a Calgary Stampeder, and try and spark the team as he's done so many times. But it just wasn't to be for Bo Levi Mitchell, and uh, we'll see what the future holds. Okay. Okay, Derek Taylor, you didn't have a horse in the race this weekend. Uh, how would you sum up the two semifinals? Um, is this the time to go on the rant if I can't believe we made BC and Calgary play in the semifinals when <laughs> both those teams should have been in the final four or at least rewarded for incredible regular seasons? Is this the time for that? Because that's taken away from those two games. I think I think Calgary deserved a little better fate than having to go to, to BC. But, uh, yeah, it, it's – to me, the, the Calgary-BC game uh, kind of showed how fickle third down can be, right? I think both coaches do, do the right thing on third down, uh, but Calgary's get blown up, right? The Malik Henry end round gets blown up, turnover on downs, incomplete to Henry on that second third down. And then, oh, on BC's one, they happen to get the right play at the right time, and it's a 45-yard Keon Hatcher touchdown. Pipkin on third and inches into the game to keep this drive alive. Go. Takes the head off. Now he's going to be throwing There's three examples, and hey, we're not just going to jam the ball up the middle on third down to convert. We're going to try something. And for BC, it went right, and for Calgary, it went wrong. And uh, I think I like what both coaches did. Sometimes the sun shines uh, on you, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, yeah, Calgary's Calgary's offense with Jake Mayer is this short attacking uh, offense, and, and it just, you know, BC was able to keep it out of the end zone. And, when Bo comes in and starts slinging it down the rail, you go, oh, okay, well, here's something a little different. Uh, will they regret not running with Kadeem Carey more? I, I, I honestly believe they will, just based on how that went. Uh, the other one, it, Montreal, just I, I was surprised, uh, and Rick alluded to a little bit, I was surprised how Hamilton's defense conceded points in that first half because that is a talented, talented unit. And maybe maybe I, I need to give more credit to Montreal instead of blame to the Ticats, but – how, how well Montreal was able to move the ball against what I think is a strong personnel-wise defense really, really caught me off guard and, and it ended up being the deciding factor in that game.
Okay, before we set up the final four this weekend, uh, since we were just talking about Bo Levi-Mitchell, you know, he did obviously play his last game for the Calgary Stampeders. He still wants to be a starter in this league. He obviously is going to be somewhere. Calgary Stampeders could trade his rights, I guess, if they, if they wanted to. Where do we think Bo Levi-Mitchell is going to end up next season? Uh, I'll start with you, Rick, because uh, Hamilton could be a possible destination, or, or, or could it? You know, we, we saw Dane Evans struggle a little bit. I mean, it could. If the opportunity presented itself, they, they would have to weigh their options. Uh, you know, Dane Evans is a guy they think can still get the job done, and he did a little bit this season, uh, although he had a horrendous start to the campaign. Uh, And I would say, you know, of all the games that he played, I'd I'd point to two in which he was excellent in. The other one were, you know, meh. And you need a lot better than meh in the Canadian Football League to be a playoff team and a a, a Grey Cup contender. I I would say that the Ticats are, uh, I don't know if a remote possibility or a remote landing point for Bo Levi uh, on that list. I would point to teams like Ottawa. I'd certainly put Toronto in the mix. Montreal, if they don't believe in Trevor Harris on on, uh, one more contract, he's getting up there in years. And Saskatchewan is probably the other team that I'm looking at uh, at a landing spot. Wouldn't that be exciting for that rivalry? So if I had to put you on the spot, what's your number one destination? I would go with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Me personally, I I have the Toronto Argonauts written all over Bo Levi Mitchell. Uh, Derek Taylor, you you next. Uh, I think number one would be Saskatchewan. I I think... I mean, we'll see what they do at offensive coordinator, and that may determine where they're going to go mm-hmm. at quarterback. I think it's I think it's neat to be talking about Toronto because McLeod Bethel-Thompson, there's nothing, I don't think, fundamentally wrong with him, but Bo, could, Bo moves the needle. He does. Right? Bo moves the needle. So it feels weird to be throwing an MBT out the window, but um, – <laughs> I unless they unless they advance to the Grey Cup, I, I it's absolutely in play because I mean they really tried in 2019 to get Bo Bo right. They offered him over 700 grand, whatever the numbers were thrown around at the time. They offered him all the money in the world because Bo moves the needle and and Bo Levi Mitchell, you know, attacking deep down the field would be could be really good and be you know. Getting Toronto back to the 80s Toronto Argonauts as far as attendance is, is a long process, but there, there's a step for you. That, that could be a step. Okay, Mark, how about yourself? Where do you think Bo ends up? I would think Ottawa's got a good shot, depending exactly on how they think Mazzoli is going to come back. That would be a team that I think he would look at. Uh, I know Saskatchewan is out there, but they've got to show they want to upgrade that offensive line. I mean, it, would Bo Levi Mitchell have been sacked any less than Cody Fajardo? I kind of doubt it, but uh, I guess you never know. But I, I would think Ottawa is going to be looking to stabilize the quarterback position. It may be Mazzoli, depending on his health situation, but it may be Bo Levi Mitchell as well. Saskatchewan, I certainly understand why that name would come up, but if I'm Bo Levi Mitchell, I would want to see a big, a big commitment to a far better offensive line, or he won't have too long a career there either. Hypothetical, if Bo Levi Mitchell ends up in Saskatchewan, where does Cody Fajardo end up? But could he be the veteran quarterback in Calgary? Derek, what do you think? Oh, I, I think Calgary's. I think Calgary's probably settled with with uh, Jake Mayer, Tommy Stevens. Fajardo would immediately provide something in a quarterback sneak game if, if he wanted to. It would be, you know, not utilizing his skills fully. Fajardo, I, I'm i still on Team Fajardo. I still believe in Fajardo. So um, how about BC if uh, if Nathan Rourke is off in the NFL? Um, how about how about Edmonton? There's, there's a lot mm-hmm. of spots I could see 
Fajardo go to? Uh, how about how about Hamilton? They seem to like two quarterback situations there. Well, not that I think two quarterback situations are great, but how about Hamilton? Fajardo, to me, uh, in my mind, deserves to be a starter in the CFL next season. So, yeah, who who's going to want a piece of that and who has something complimentary to work with him? So th- those are the teams I would point to. Okay, Rick, since I put you on the spot and you said Saskatchewan, the most likely destination for Bo Levi Mitchell, where does Cody Fajardo end up? Well, I was thinking Toronto. <laughs> you know, let's play the musical chairs, you know. Uh, MBT will be somewhere else, maybe in, in Ottawa, and Fajardo will be – I mean, that's the CFL, right? You have quarterbacks moving around all the time and, and star players going from one team to the other. I really find the BC situation probably the most fascinating because, you know, they have Vernon Adams Jr. Uh, you know, Nathan Bork is a, a budding superstar, and, and uh, he might be already that anyways. Uh, had a, uh, a a much better half season than many quarterbacks had a full season this year, and he's just getting started. So to me, the BCQB situation, I think, is the most fascinating. But, yeah, if I were a betting man, I'd say Fajardo lands in Toronto. Mm. Uh, you know, Thompson's gone. Bo Levi's in Saskatchewan. And uh, let's re-rack and get ready for 2023. <laughs> Mark, what do you think? <laughs> Well, wherever he goes, he's going to have to fight for the number one job. I'm not sure where that would be, but, you know, certainly, uh, you know, to be a backup somewhere, uh, where would they need a veteran backup? Well, Calgary would be one spot. Uh, You know, what are they going to do in Montreal with Trevor Harris and company? We'll have to wait and see. So those are the two destinations I could see. I could see him going to Montreal, but I'm surprised at how Bethel Thompson is constantly fighting for his job, fighting for his (laughs) life. You look at his stats, he was just under 5,000 yards. So I'm surprised at that, but... uh, We'll let that play out in the offseason. The one thing I will say on the podcast is there's a reason why we're all broadcasters and not general managers. So (laughs) on that note, guys, who is the GM of the year in the Canadian Football League? You know, we have coach of the year, special teams, rookie, lineman, Canadian defensive player, outstanding player. I I look at two guys, Neil McAvoy in in British Columbia, uh, Danny Machocha in Montreal. Who wants to start? uh, uh, Derek, I'll start with you. Who's the GM of the year in the Canadian Football League? Oh, those are two good candidates. Um, I, I think Danny Machocha would, would get a, uh, an honorary award as robbing the Edmonton Elks the most times. Like, they just <laughs> – when you think of the impact players on that roster that came from Edmonton, man, they, they did a tremendous job in any trade with the Elks. To me, it's it's got to be uh, – it's got to be Neil McAvoy and BC because they had a very rare opportunity right with a what they hoped was an elite quarterback and turned out to be a super elite quarterback on a virtually minimum salary they had the chance to fill in with other uh, you know high salaried receivers and linemen and defensive players that we don't see that opportunity very much that's way more an NFL thing right with a quarterback on his first contract who is the star and and they went for it they absolutely went for it they loaded up that receiving core they tried to load it up even further with Kenny Lawler so they were they were pushing all the edges. Uh, they loaded up on that defense as well. And and I think, I mean, it pays off in that they're in the final four. So uh, I have to go with that because it, it's not an opportunity that we see CFL teams get a lot when you're used to paying quarterbacks five, six, and $700,000 to get one on 85 grand and, and get the right pieces around that to, to make a run. And honestly, even the midseason trade for the one quarterback who was available in Vernon Adams – Vernon isn't Nathan Rourke, but he held them up and kept them to a, you know on a twelve and six path. I, I think it's got to be McAvoy and BC. I, I would I would second that. Neil McAvoy is my uh, general manager of the year. Mark Stephen, what do you think? Well, I think so too, and don't underestimate the signing of uh, Rhymes as well. Uh, you know to come over and help out. And twelve seconds until halftime. 
They'll try one more play. Or else it's Sean White time. And it's a look into the end zone. Adams, coverage there! Rhymes! Top receiver in the league and Dominique Rhymes. Rhymes goes up and wins the jump ball. Vernon Adams helped stabilize things during an unstable period. So, yeah, I would have to say him and Derek is right. The fact that they have a quarterback who's making a very limited salary allows them to surround him with some high-end receivers, and that's what they did. So, Neil McAvoy gets my vote. Do you want to make it unanimous, Rick? Absolutely. You know, the the acquisition of Vernon Adams was a masterstroke, realizing that, you know, Rourke was going to be down for a significant amount of time. You know, that was a stable. I think, if anything, it gave his team confidence that, all right, we're in it to win it. Uh, like this, there's no going to be, you know, a, a sag midseason. We're not going to drop out of the playoff hunt. Like, we're going all the way. I would give an honorable mention, and this might sound a little bit weird, uh, to Kyle Walters in Winnipeg. Because, you know, when you're at the top of the heap, it's hard to stay there. Uh, Even in this league with only nine teams, because guys are bouncing around all over the place. You know, you lose arguably one of the best running backs in Canadian football history and Andrew Harris in the offseason, you know, the decision not to re-sign him and go with the guys that uh, has got him to another, you know, uh, best record in the CFL and potentially a third straight Grey Cup. So I think Walter should get some recognition as well. Okay, since you mentioned – sorry, did somebody want to weigh in on that? Yeah, yeah, John, can I follow up on on the Winnipeg one? I think that's a great call by Rick because uh, went through three weak side linebackers, went through three safeties. Got a starting cornerback in week four to go with the guy in his second year who eventually got injured, and then it was a rookie. Rookies across the defensive backfield. Lost Jackson Jeffcoat for a significant period of time. Jeffcoat is a monster at getting quarterback pressure. Had Greg Ellingson for only seven games. Lost Nick Dembski for five games. Lost Drew Walatarski for four games. Uh, lost their starting center in week two. He didn't come back until week 20. I think it was the way that they had the Bombers had the roster prepared for eventualities like this. And then all credit to coaches for getting players ready. The injury troubles they had in, in uh, Winnipeg, they haven't seen in years. And to parlay that into a 15 win season, I, I almost overlooked uh, Kyle Walters. I did for a moment there. So I'm, I'm really got, glad that, that Rick brought that up because what, what they were able to do with backup and depth players this year was incredible. I'll give Mike O'Shea the coach of the year, so so we're even, okay? Mm. <laughs> Definitely coach of the year for safe for all those reasons, absolutely. All right, guys, uh, you brought it up, Rick. Uh, you know, the Andrew Harris, it looks like he might be able to play in the West Final this weekend. Montreal in Toronto. Uh, break it down for me. How do you see this game going? Who do you think will represent the East and why? Well, to me, this is of the two games this weekend. This is a this is a coin flip. You know, both teams have played each other extremely tough. I know Toronto has two wins in their three games. They're both one point games. One ended rather oddly with the missed rouge and you know the stepping out of bounds, and they uh, they get the victory. The last game really didn't mean anything as no one was kind of playing in those games. It's in Toronto. Montreal is a bit of momentum after their first home playoff win in a long, long time, or just playoff win in a long, long time. But the way the Argos have played this season, they've been, I think, of the two teams a little more consistent. You know, they're a decent team at home. They're not going to get, you know, 30,000 at BMO Field, which is sad to say. But at the end of the day, they're still at home, sleeping in their own beds. Um, I just, you know, they're a well-rested team having the bye week. And, you know, the last week of the regular season, resting some guys. 
it all depends on which team comes to play, and especially at the start of the game. Because the way we saw Montreal start last game, they were just they just proved to the entire Canadian Football League that they were the hungrier team. And if Toronto is not the hungrier team on Sunday, they will not win the game. I expect them to be that hungry team and to get by the Alouettes. I think Toronto represents the East in the Grey Cup. Okay, Mark, what do you think? I do too. I thought Toronto all season long has been the best team in the East, and they were my choice right out of the gate. Uh, Rick's right. They they have at times been a little erratic. Uh, you know, uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson at times does go to sleep, it seems, and doesn't produce much. But overall, the numbers are very good. They've got a tremendous defense. It's really picked it up in the second half of the season. I think they've got enough to uh, handle Montreal, and I think they'll do so by at least double digits. I thought Hamilton was going to beat Montreal, so what the hell do I know? Uh, what do you think, Derek Taylor? <laughs> uh, I've been on Montreal for a few weeks now. Um, uh, beginning of the season, I thought Montreal was going to be awful. I thought they were going to be the last place team. Then they make the change to Trevor Harris, which then turned my fortunes on them. And, you know, I, I, I just I, I look at Montreal and I go, I like their offensive weapons a little better than I like Toronto's. Um, I, I'm more trusting in their quarterback than I am in Toronto's. I think McLeod Bethel-Thompson has a higher ceiling than Trevor Harris, but I think Harris has a higher floor, if you know what I mean, in mm-hmm. that his his worst game is going to be better than McLeod Bethel-Thompson's worst game. Mostly, and mostly, I can't identify what Toronto is, at least offensively. Um, Curly Gittins Jr., Gittins Mittens has had a fantastic season. Um, uh, Markeith Ambles has been a guy who gets a ton of targets, but What's Tavares Daniels? What are they in the run game besides Willette running super hard and try to, to kill people? It's not incredibly effective, but I guess it, I guess it's good enough. I just, to me, they won a lot of one-score games this season, so those are to a, to a degree luck. I, I don't know what they are. I can define Montreal uh, a, a lot better in, as a team that, you know, the run game, regardless of William Stabak being in there or not, is super effective. Harris is a guy who will protect the football, if not wow you uh, in cases. And Gino Lewis is is the playmaker of playmakers at receivers. So uh, I've really like, and plus that defense, that's the defense that blitzes the most in the Canadian Football League. They get after quarterbacks. And McLeod isn't the most, uh, isn't the best one, let's say, against the blitz uh, this season. So I, I feel like it's it's a bit of a, a bit of a longer shot, but I, I feel like Montreal has kind of had my eye for seven or eight weeks. I'd have to go back and see exactly when. But I, I think Montreal, just because uh, I, I can define what they do and, and they, they do it in a way, in an aggressive way that I, I think rolls well in the playoffs, I think Montreal. I'll stand up for the Alouettes in this one. <laughs> so is it better for the Canadian Football League to have Toronto in the game or Montreal in the game? Derek, you start. Uh, I will. Oh, that's a good one. It's probably better for Toronto, but... Montreal beat Winnipeg in Winnipeg this year. Uh, and it came on, you know, the storyline that Winnipeg Blue Bomber fans have been watching slash fearing for, for two years. And it was Mark Leggio missing two kicks. One that would have won the game in regulation and one that would have sent it to a second overtime. To push them to a perfect 10-0 and 0 to start the season. Can he do it? Hold is good. Legio's kick misses it. Are you kidding me? Got to get out. Legio misses it. It's brought back out, and we're still tied at 17. Legio from just outside 35. And it's off the upright. No. 
So uh, to me, the the game against Toronto for the Bombers this season wasn't much. It was a Boris Beattie missed convert that didn't send it to overtime. I, I think I think better for for me would be hey Montreal, the the team that split with the Bombers, the team that took them to the wire. You know, played seven and a half great quarters against this Bombers team, maybe tougher than any other team in the CFL. I think that's the one. I mean, you can't get past population and sponsors with the right. Argos, but for me, for for the game, for the best game, to me, it's Winnipeg, Montreal. Mark, what do you think? Better to have Montreal or Toronto win the final? Well, I guess I would have to say Toronto. Maybe, maybe for once, uh, you know, Toronto can become a bit of an Argos city, or at least get noticed there. It is the biggest city in the country, so uh, you know they're a team that's uh, produced the last two years. I mean, this is the second straight year of hosting the East Final. That can't be dismissed either. So I, I guess it'd be better for Toronto, uh, Montreal. You know, they have a high-profile uh, owner who stepped aside for a while, then came back into the social media world. But no, I, I would say on balance, Toronto, but. Uh, Montreal will be fine as well. Rick, you're in the East. What do you think? I see from a business perspective, the CFL would rather have Toronto in because you're probably going to get a few more eyeballs potentially for a great cup. Not many more if, uh, if Montreal were in the... But as a resident of the city of Hamilton, there's two schools of thought. Number one, you want the Argos to lose every game. Or number two, you want them to make the Grey Cup if Hamilton does not and then lose in excruciating fashion. So let's go with that option. (laughs) I love it. Okay, me personally, I think it would be better to have BC in the Grey Cup game. Sorry, Derek Taylor. I'm sick of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I want the dynasty to come to an end. But but hey, that's just my own opinion. I'm not sure the BC Lions can beat beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, you know, obviously, they are a little bit of a dynasty. They've won back-to-back championships. They've won 15 games. So so let me throw it out here, and I'm going to ask you right right off the sh- shoot, Derek, uh, what does BC have to do to beat Winnipeg? Can they beat Winnipeg? Yeah, they not not turn over the ball and, and force turnovers is, is a pretty simplistic way to say it. But last year's West Final, uh, Winnipeg turned the ball over five times in the first half. Six times in total, including, you know, one's right at the goal line, one right in the end zone, which should have been touchdowns. If they do that against BC, they're in a lot more trouble because BC has an attack that last year Saskatchewan Rough Riders just could not could not muster. So uh, this one this one's about turnover battles. These are two great teams as far as taking penalties. That that shouldn't be a factor. That should even out. These are two teams with super elite quarterbacks and guys who, who can deal with pressure. So uh, honestly, ball security, and, and I, I rarely go to that 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 one, but ball security is going to be the big thing because uh, there were turnovers. I, I just go back to the first meeting in week five between these two teams, and Winnipeg takes the opening kickoff back for a touchdown and, and gets turnovers at the right time and ends up winning a three-score game. Uh, uh, to me, if, if the bounces, whichever way the bounces go, and you need to do everything you can to control the bounces, maybe don't push balls into tighter windows that as you as you might for for both quarterbacks to me that's going to be it because both these teams are uh, to me equivalent on defense equivalent on offense with how quickly and how many times they can strike you both run both pass both multiple weapons and in each uh, each of those phases uh, I I hate to go to just turnovers but to me it's turnovers that will that will decide that game you know, Mark, uh, I'm not sure Nathan Rourke is 100%, but he's pretty damn close. Uh, you know, in a cold-weather game, it could be interesting to see what Nathan Rourke does. What do you think? What does BC have to do to beat Winnipeg? 
Well, certainly uh, number one is just what you said, get him mobile because uh, Winnipeg has a fabulous front four that can put on a lot of pressure there. Uh, you know, BC is going to have to also make sure that they get the ground game going. It was good, not great against Calgary. They'll have to do that. Uh, also, in my estimation, they're going to have to uh, get a lot of pressure on Zach Caleros and keep him in the pocket. They did that a lot to uh, Jake Mayer last week because uh, certainly where Caleros shines is just when you think the play is over, he finds a way to take one more step to escape the pressure and fire it downfield. So those are some of the areas where I think BC has to do the job, and we'll see if they do. Uh, I don't know if Guacom's going to be back there in Boom Guacom, but uh, he is a talented player as well. So uh, certainly uh, BC's going to go into a hornet's nest, though. That's a fabulous home field advantage in Winnipeg. Without a doubt. Rick, uh, what do you think? What does BC have to do? Yeah, it's a, it's a tall order. There's no doubt about that. You know, I thought this Winnipeg team uh, had its best ever team last year. I might have to rethink that after watching this team week out and week out this year because they just dominate. Uh, and in, even when they fall behind, and that's very rare, they just have this composure and this poise to, you know, settle down, put some points on the board, chip away at their deficit. All of a sudden they're in the lead in the fourth quarter, and it's pretty much game over because they lock things down. They're so well coached. They're so well disciplined. BC basically, to me, has to play a near-perfect game. There, you know, No team's ever going to play a perfect game, but as perfect as you can get, almost as perfect as the Ticats did in the, in the, in the week after their, their bye week after the Labor Day, really everything they did was unbelievable. And Winnipeg kind of you know stumbled midway through, made a game of it at the end as well. Um, this, this has to happen. I can't see this Winnipeg team turning the ball over five or six times like they did in the, in the West Final last year. This is a team that is too well-coached. Um, BC's got to jump out to an early lead, get a turnover, capitalize on that turnover with the TD, get momentum on their side. But, man, oh, man, that, that's that's a lot to ask for this uh, BC Lions team. Okay, I'll ask the same question as I did for the East final. Is it better for the league to have Winnipeg back in as a dynasty team, or is it better to have, you know, the face of the Canadian Football League, Nathan Rourke, in that championship game, Grey Cup 109? Uh, Rick, you go first. Wow, that's a great, that to me is the tougher one because, you know, fans love and hate dynasties and mm-hmm. they tune in to see both uh, either, you know, continue or, you know, the, the dynasty blow up. Uh, the Nathan Rourke story, though, is so amazing. And this guy, and I think by, you know, extension of this team, uh, can capture the imagination of that young football fan who might be tuning in for the first time to say, well, that guy's Canadian. I could be there too. I should watch more CFL. I should become a fan of this team or this league. Uh, so I think BC would be the better look for the Canadian football league. But wow, when you have a powerhouse and a team that plays football the way that Winnipeg does, it's hard not to root for them or, or want to see them week in and week out. So I'll say BC, but man, Winnipeg's a very close second in this argument. Mark? Well, probably BC. You mentioned the Nathan work factor as well, but don't also overlook just the revival in the market there that they've really taken off uh, in BC. They become much, much more relevant this year. The new ownership group has really captured people's imagination, and this would be kind of vindication of that should they go to the Great Cup. I'm not sure they will, but of the two teams from strictly a league viewpoint, I think it would be better for the BC Lions to go to the game. They haven't been there in quite a while either, so nice to see a fresh new face. Derek, I I don't even want to ask you the question, but I will. Uh, I, I think from a league <laughs> perspective, to have to have essentially its biggest star in a, in a reviving market, just like the guy said, I think BC, I think BC yeah. being in the Great Cup game is, is probably the best thing for the league. 
dot, 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 if Nathan Rourke were to somehow stay in this one. Because BC needs a lot of credit. Like, Amar Dolman and, and the team he's put together there need a lot of credit for what they're doing in Vancouver. When you go to Vancouver now, there's a real there's a feel that, that they are really making a push for it. I remember being there and seeing a, an outdoor party the day before the game at the art gallery. And I thought, this is this is great. This is what this market needs. Just bring people in. Tell them that black and orange is super cool. I, I think that's the way to go. Uh, that said, uh, there hasn't been a dynasty like this Bombers team potentially since I was a young boy and my dad was yelling at Warren Moon on the TV, run, run, Warren. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm all in favor of, of dynasties and seeing just how far greatness can extend. So it's a very close second, but uh, the star of stars, Nathan Rourke and the BC Lions would probably be the, the CFL's preference. Guys, this has been fun as always. Uh, enjoy the two games this weekend. I appreciate it. Thanks, Doc. It. Well, should be fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, Final Four. It's a playoff Sunday, back to back. So, really looking forward to it for sure. And that does it for another edition of Football North. Thanks so much for downloading the episode. Love to hear your feedback. Maybe you have a topic for a future show. You can always hit me up, Jock at am770chqr.com.